This is section 34 of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain, section 34, The San Francisco Daily Morning Call. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, June 7, 1864. Burglar Arrested. John Richardson, whose taste for a cigar must be inordinate, gratified it on Saturday night last by forcing his way into a tobacconist's on Broadway, near Kearney Street, and helping himself to fourteen hundred smokes. In his hurry, however, he did not select the best, as the stolen tobacco was only valued at fifty dollars. He was congratulating himself last evening in a saloon on Dupont Street in having secured weeds for himself and all his friends, when, lo, a rose bloomed before his eyes, and he wilted. The scent of that flower of detectives was too strong even for the aroma of the stolen cigars. Richardson was conveyed to the station-house, where a kit of neat burglar's tools was found on his person. He is now reposing his limbs on an asphaltum floor, a bed as hard as the ways of unrighteousness. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, June eleventh, 1864. Another chapter in the Marks family history. Samuel Marks had Dora Marks and Henry Wood before the police court yesterday, charged with assault and battery. The plaintiff said that Dora and Henry came into his shop on Washington Street last Tuesday, and without saying a word as to how they came there, knocked him into a senseless condition by blows on his head. Henry testified that he saw the fair Dora enter Samuel's shop, and shortly after he heard a clatter as if heaven and earth were bumping together, and running down to Samuel's doorway, and standing by the door-sill because he had no right to enter the premises, he saw Samuel hit the lamb-like Dora a slap on the sconce with a tailor's press-board, and instantly after a huge pair of shears came flying at him. Before he could dodge them, they partially scalped his cranium, causing a plentiful flow of the ruby, and he thought that he had better prospect in other diggings, not so dangerous, and left. The meek and war-worn Dora sat like a penitent Magdalene, and had nary word to say, and the austere decision of the judge was that the respective defendants, Henry and Dora, do appear in that court this day, and receive sentence for their crimes. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, June fifteenth, eighteen sixty four. Petty Police Court Transactions. It is surprising to notice what trifling picayune cases are frequently brought before the police judge by parties who conceive that their honor has been attacked, a gross outrage committed on their person or reputation, and they must have justice, though the heavens fall. Distinguished counsel are employed witnesses are summoned, and made to dance attendance to the successive steps of the complaints, and the patience of the judge and reporters is severely tested by the time occupied in their investigation, which, after a close examination of witnesses, cross-questioning by the counsel, and perhaps some brilliant peroration at the close, with the especial injunction to the court that it were better that ten guilty men should escape punishment rather than one innocent, one eye obliquely winking to their client, person should suffer, with a long breath of satisfaction that the agony is over about a hair-pulling case, 
a lost spoon or a broken window, the judge dismisses the case, and, if we must say it, the lawyers pocket their fees, and the client pockets his or her indignation that the defendant escaped the punishment which to their view was so richly deserved. Thus, yesterday, William Towerick, a deaf old man, complained that a woman struck him with a basket on Mission Street. The good-looking German interpreter almost woke up the dead in his efforts to shout in the plaintiff's auricular appendage the respective questions propounded by counsel, but had eventually to give it up as a bad job and let the old lady, the plaintiff's wife, try. Case dismissed. Then comes another complainant, with a long chapter of grievances against one Rosa Bustamente, who didn't like her little poodle-dog. Bad words from both parties, and a flower-pot thrown at somebody, bursting five panes of glass, valued at twenty-five cents each. Court considered that plaintiff and defendant stood on nearly equal footing, and ordered the case dismissed. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, June 23, 1864 Another of them. At five minutes to nine o'clock last night, San Francisco was favored by another earthquake. There were three distinct shocks, two of which were very heavy, and appeared to have been done on purpose. But the third did not amount to much. Heretofore our earthquakes, as all old citizens experienced in this sort of thing will recollect, have been distinguished by a soothing kind of undulating motion, like the roll of waves on the sea. But we are happy to state that they are shaking her up from below now. The shocks last night came straight up from that direction, and it is sad to reflect, in these spiritual times, that they might possibly have been freighted with urgent messages from some of our departed friends. The suggestion is worthy a moment's serious reflection, at any rate. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, June 25, 1864 A Trip to the Cliff House If one tire of the drudgeries and scenes of the city, and would breathe the fresh air of the sea, let him take the cars and omnibuses, or, better still, a buggy and pleasant steed, and, ere the sea breeze sets in, glide out to the cliff-house. We tried it a day or two since, out along the railroad track, by the pleasant homes of our citizens, where architecture begins to put off its swaddling clothes, and assume form and style, grace and beauty, by the neat gardens with their green shrubbery and laughing flowers, out where were once sand-hills and sand-valleys, now streets and homesteads. If you would doubly enjoy pure air, first pass along by Mission Street Bridge, the Golgotha of Butcherville, and wind along through the alleys where stand the whiskey-mills and grunt the piggeries of Uncle Jim. Breathe and inhale deeply ere you reach this castle of Udolpho, and then hold your breath as long as possible, for Arabia is a long way thence, and the balm of a thousand flowers is not for sale in that locality. Then, Away you go, over paved or planked or macadamized roads, out to the cities of the dead, pass between Lone Mountain and Calvary, and make a straight due west course for the ocean. Along the way are many things to please and entertain, especially if an intelligent chaperone accompany you. Your eye will travel over in every direction the vast territory which Swain, Weaver, and Company 
desire to fence in the little homesteads by the way dr rowell's arena castle and zeke wilson's bleak house in the sand splendid road ocean air that swells the lungs and strengthens the limbs then there's the cliff house perched on the very brink of the ocean like a castle by the rhine with countless sea lions rolling their unwieldy bulks on the rocks within rifle shot or plunging into and sculling about in the foaming waters steamers and sailing craft are passing wild fowl scream and sea lions growl and bark the waves roll into breakers foam and spray for five miles along the beach beautiful and grand and one feels as if at sea with no rolling motion nor seasickness and the appetite is whetted by the drive and the breeze the ocean's presence wins you into a happy frame and you can eat one of the best dinners with the hungry relish of an ostrich go to the cliff house go ere the winds get too fresh and if you like you may come back by mountain lake and the presidio overlook the fort and bow to the stars and stripes as you pass the san francisco daily morning call june twenty fifth eighteen sixty four charge against a police officer william h winans made a complaint in the police court yesterday against officer forner for assault and battery from the testimony it appeared that forner had had an arrest of two persons and then delivered them to the care of another officer while the latter officer was taking the men to the station-house the plaintiff went up to one of the prisoners to speak to him concerning his bail when as he alleges forner took him by the collar pushed him away and struck him the judge remarked that officers must not go beyond the law in the discharge of their duties it was not unfrequently the case that they displayed abundant zeal concerning arrests that were wholly unjustifiable alluding more particularly to their making arrests without a warrant on the mere say-so of outside parties they must either be an actual witness of the offense or make an arrest by a warrant specially issued for the purpose after forner had delivered his prisoners to another officer his control over them ceased and he had no right to exercise the conduct alleged against him and it should require him to appear to-day for sentence the san francisco daily morning call june twenty eighth eighteen sixty four charges against an officer lewis p ward prefers the following charges against officer forner and judge shepherd has issued subpoenas for the witnesses using unnecessary violence in making an arrest making the arrest without authority without a warrant and merely upon the say-so of an interested party maltreating two private citizens where there was no call for such conduct on his part and being off his beat and drinking in the flag saloon when he should have been at his post the board of police commissioners will take the matter into consideration on thursday afternoon at two o'clock these charges are of a grave character and will receive the strict examination to which their importance entitles them the san francisco daily morning call june twenty eighth eighteen sixty four missionaries wanted for san francisco we do not like it as far as we have got we shall probably not fall so deeply in love with reporting for a san francisco paper as to make it impossible ever to wean us from it there is a powerful saving clause for us in the fact that the conservators of public information 
the persons whose positions afford them opportunities not enjoyed by others to keep themselves posted concerning the important events of the city's daily life, do not appear to know anything. At the offices and places of business we have visited in search of information, we have got it in just the same shape every time, with a promptness and uniformity which is startling, perhaps, but not gratifying. They all answer and say unto you, I don't know. We do not mind that so much, but we do object to a man's parading his ignorance with an air of overbearing egotism which shows you that he is proud of it. True merit is modest, and why should not true ignorance be? In most cases, the head of the concern is not at home. But then, why not pay better wages and leave men at the counter who would not be above knowing something? Judging by the frills they put on, the sad but infallible accompaniment of forty dollars a year and found, these fellows are satisfied they are not paid enough to make it an object to know what is going on around them, or to state that their crop of information has failed this century, without doing it with an exaggeration of dignity altogether disproportioned to the importance of the thing. In Washoe, if a man don't know anything, he will at least go on and tell you what he don't know, so that you can publish it in case you do not stumble upon something of more vital interest to the community in the course of the day. If a similar course were pursued here, we might always have something to write about, and occasionally a column or so left over for next day's issue, perhaps. The San Francisco Daily Morning Call, June 29, 1864 The Khan of Tartary Lena Khan, otherwise known as Mother Khan, or the Khan of Tartary, who is famous in this community for her infatuated partiality for the police court as a place of recreation, was on hand there again yesterday morning. She was mixed up in a triangular row, the sides of the triangle being Mr. Oppenheim, Mrs. Oppenheim, and herself. It appeared from the evidence that she formed the base of the triangle, which is to say, she was at the bottom of the row, and struck the first blow. Moses Levi, being sworn, said he was in the neighborhood and heard Mrs. Oppenheim scream, knew it was her by the vicious expression she always threw into her screams, saw the defendant, her husband, go into the tartar's house and gobble up the partner of his bosom and his business, and rescue her from the jaws of destruction, meaning Mrs. Kahn, and bring her forth to sport once more amid the blank. At this point the lawyer turned off Mr. Levi's gas, which seemed to be degenerating into poetry, and asked him what his occupation was. The Levite said he drove an express wagon. The lawyer, with that sensitiveness to the slightest infringement of the truth, which is so becoming to the profession, inquired severely if he did not sometimes drive the horse also. The wretched witness, thus detected before the multitude in his deep-laid and subtle prevarication, hung his head in silence. His evidence could no longer be respected, and he moved away from the stand with the consciousness written upon his countenance of how fearful a thing it is to trifle with the scruples of a lawyer. Mrs. Oppenheim next came forward and gave a portion of her testimony in damaged English, and the balance in dark and mysterious German. In the English glimpses of her story it was discernible that she had innocently trespassed upon the domain of the Khan, 
and had been rudely seized upon in such a manner as to make her arm turn blue. She turned up her sleeve and showed the judge, and the bruise had grown worse since that day, until at last it was tinged with a ghastly green. She turned up her sleeve again for impartial judicial inspection. And instantly, after receiving this affront, so humiliating to one of gentle blood, she had been set upon without cause or provocation, and thrown upon the floor, and licked. This last expression possessed a charm for Mrs. Oppenheim that no persuasion of judge or lawyers could induce her to forego, even for the sake of bringing her wrongs into a stronger light, so long as those wrongs, in such an event, must be portrayed in language less pleasant to her ear. She said the Khan had licked her, and she stuck to it, and reiterated with unflinching firmness. Becoming confused by repeated assaults from the lawyers in the way of badgering questions, which her wavering senses could no longer comprehend, she relapsed at last into hopeless German again, and retired within the lines. Mr. Oppenheim then came forward and remained under fire for fifteen minutes, during which time he made it as plain as the disabled condition of his English would permit him to do, that he was not in any wise to blame, at any rate, that his wife went out after a warrant for the arrest of the Khan, that she stopped to make it up with the Khan, and the redoubtable Khan tackled her and that he was dry nursing the baby at the time, and when he heard his wife scream, he suspected, with a sagacity which did him credit, that she wouldn't have hollered, doubt there was something the matter. Therefore he piled the child up in a corner remote from danger, and moved upon the works of the tartar. She had waltzed into the wife and finished her, and was already on picket duty, waiting for the husband, and when he came, she smacked him over the head a couple of times with a deadly bludgeon she uses to elevate linen to the clothesline with. And then, stimulated by this encouragement, he started to the police office to get out a warrant for the arrest of the victorious army. But the victorious army, always on the alert, was there ahead of him, and he now stood in the presence of the court in the humiliating position of a man who had aspired to be plaintive, but overcome by strategy, had sunk to the grade of defendant. At this point his mind wandered, his vivacious tongue grew thick with mushy German syllables, and the last of the Oppenheims sank to rest at the feet of justice. We had done less than our duty had we allowed this most important trial, freighted as it was, with matters of the last importance to every member of this community, and every conscientious law-abiding man and woman upon whom the sun of civilization shines to-day, to be given to the world in the columns, with no more elaboration than the customary, Benjamin Oppenheim, assault and battery, dismissed. Lena Oppenheim and Friederike Kahn held to answer. We thought, at first, of starting in that way, under the head of police court, but a second glance at the case showed us that it was one of a most serious and extraordinary nature, and ought to be put in such a shape that the public could give to it that grave and deliberate consideration which its magnitude entitled it to. End of section 34